In this episode, I take three clips from strong women in business that I have interviewed, mash them together, and put them out for you. This is going to be a good one. Let's go. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alemo, and I'm on the path for a better life, and I think you are too. That's why you're listening. You, you might want more money or a promotion or just to be happier, healthier, have better relationships, whatever it is. You know, I think that you just need three things to get there, a really strong work ethic, a great attitude, and a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy. So I'm hoping that this show, the blog, everything that we do can help be that momentum spark for you. I know it is for me to, to get better. So thanks so much for joining on my journey. You can follow more. Uh, all the show notes here are going to be on millennialmomentum.net. You can follow me at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very active. Give me a check out. I'm on YouTube. I'm anywhere you can find me. And if you find any value here, the only thing I ask is that you just subscribe and leave a quick review wherever you're listening. We're on iTunes. We just got on Spotify, which is huge. Google, Podcast, Stitcher, we're, we're everywhere. So again, thanks for joining. And I'm excited for this episode, and I've been wanting to do something like this for a bit, a, a bit of a mashup for you. So taking three episodes that I've done over the last year and a half and taking a few clips from them uh, around a general theme and then putting them out as kind of a master class. And this is something that uh, I've, I've seen a few other podcasters do. I'm really into it and I think I want to do this maybe on a monthly cadence or something like that. And the first one that I want to do is highlight some of the really powerful, influential, inspiring women in business that have been on this show. We're at nearly 100 episodes, uh, and there's been dozens of, of strong women that come on. I wanted to highlight three in particular. So the first clip you're going to hear is from Kristen Hadid, and she's the CEO and founder of Student Made. She wrote the book earlier this year, Permission to Screw Up, an amazing book. We had a really good conversation. She has such a great emphasis on teaching skills and, and embodying such a strong culture for her company. And so you'll listen to her talk uh, for a few minutes about just the growth mindset that she has and uh, the way that she tries to influence that with her company. The second clip you're going to hear is from a personal mentor of mine and uh, a colleague at Tech Target, um, Annie Matthews. She's the vice president of sales at the organization. I've known her for years. And she has a great fire clip around, you know, pretty much why are you doing what you're doing? And if you don't love what you do, you should stop and do something else. And it's what's helped her to be so relentless, so passionate, and just such a, a great person to watch from afar and, and actually work with. So you'll enjoy that one. And then the third clip is coming from my friend Cy Wakeman. This was from an early episode where you know Sai is the founder and CEO of Reality Based Leadership, keynote speaker, New York Times best-selling author, and she has a ton of you know dozens of years of experience around her approach to leadership, which is ditching the drama, 
uh, and executing on results. So Sai talks about ego in the workplace, how to ditch the drama, and how to make things you know more positive and effective for everyone around. So I think you're going to like all three of these clips. Um, I was getting pretty jazzed up re-listening to all of these episodes. Uh, let me know what you think. Hit me up on social media. Let me know in the reviews and the comments. Would love to hear what you guys think in the new format here that we're dropping. Um, so if, without further ado, let's get into the clips with Kristen, Annie, and Cy. Enjoy. And so I was looking at your site or, or somewhere where you're talking about your why. And I, I think it's interesting that your why, at least for starting the business, was to get a pair of jeans because you were a broke college student, which I think you know a lot of people can relate to. But now your why is, at least what I read, is to empower people to try so that they can transcend their limits. So that's a lot different than being able to afford jeans. Um, I'd love to hear yes. how that has changed over time and maybe even elaborate a little bit on on what that why means. Sure. There. So you're right. The company started because of a pair of jeans. And I never – it wasn't like I went out to start a company. I just – I wanted these jeans. I was 19, didn't have any money. And I thought, what's something I can do to just make enough money to buy these? And I put an ad on Craigslist to clean a house. And I charged exactly the price of the jeans and that I thought that would be it. And the woman who hired me asked me to come back. And so I cleaned her house pretty regularly and then she told her friends about me and then I forgot to take the ad down. So it, it really was unintentional. And But still, I never thought that would be my job. Like I, I had a plan for myself to move to New York and work on Wall Street and that's what I always thought I would do. And... Um, Right before my senior year, I got this contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments. And it was a three-week job, and I thought it would be super easy. Empty apartments, three weeks, that's it. And I hired 60 people. And I, it was such a disaster. And actually calling it a disaster is being generous. I mean, it was like a disaster. I had no idea how to be a leader. I had no idea how to lead a team of people. 45 of these people quit um, a couple days in. I got them back by admitting my failure um, and, and apologizing, but th something changed that summer in me. And this, this thing that I viewed as my side gig, as something that was just helping me save money for New York, actually became the thing that I was most excited about and I felt really challenged by. And I thought, you know, how do you make, how do you take a job like cleaning toilets and make people really want to do it and really excited to do it and really inspired to do it. And it, it seemed like such a crazy challenge. And as I was, as I was growing the company, I ended up turning down a job in finance to stick with, with my business. And I realized that I was learning a lot for the first time. I was this, I never really had a job before this. I obviously had never been in a position of leadership, never ran a company before. So everything that I was learning, I was learning for the first time. And things like walking into a networking event and being able to introduce yourself or giving someone feedback when they let you down, things that are really hard that you have to learn to be successful in life, no matter what position you hold in your life. So I thought, well, what if, as I'm learning these things, I teach my people these things? They're going to need to know these things too. So it started really organically. And I would, let's say I would read a book. I would tell everyone in the company, hey, I just read this awesome book. I'd love to tell you about it. I'll order pizza, come if you want. And people wanted it. They wanted to learn. And so our culture, I wasn't aware at the time, but our culture was slowly transforming 
to become one centered around learning, learning and growing and developing leaders. And so now we're very aware of it. And that's, that's why student made exists. It's, we say empower people to try so they transcend limits. And what it means is we give you this environment where you can screw up, you can try things. We're going to give you all these tools and teach you so much about leadership and success. They take classes on things like how to build relationships and how to give feedback and how to how to find their strengths, all these things. And then we hope that when you leave our doors, you're going to be able to accomplish more than than you ever thought possible. And that's why I wake up every day to do my job, not for dusting. <laughs> all right. So let's take it back a little bit too. I want to, I want to peel this back. So you started the business, you know, for, for the jeans and, and, um, you know, kind of coincidentally, uh, turned into that summer gig. And then you said you realized that, um, you enjoyed two things stuck out to me. You enjoyed the challenge of, um, you know, influencing the people within the company to want to clean apartments, which is not a glamorous job by any means. But um, you like the thought of like building a place where people would want to come to work, even in that type of an environment. And the second was that you're being challenged and that, you know, the growth opportunities were were big. Um, so was like, are those, those were the two driving factors for, you know, much of the 10 years since you launched versus where I, I think a lot of people are, you know, I want to make money or I want to have accomplishments or anything like that. It seemed like a lot of what you were focused on was with other people and with growth and like money and growing the business that way. It was kind of took a back seat, which I think helped you out. Yeah. So I, and I, I really mean this, I never started the business or stuck with the business to make money. That was never a goal in meetings with my executive team. It's, it's never how can we make more money? It's always how can we how can we offer more opportunities for our people to grow? And it's hurt me sometimes because I think what I what I know now is you have to responsible CEOs have to care about money because if you really want to take care of people, you have to have that financial stability. But we were very lucky that because we focused so much on our people, the money piece just always worked itself out. So now we do talk about revenue and we do talk about, you know, our profit margin and increasing that. And But we also talk a lot about our people and our culture and we talk more about that. It, that is always number one. It always has been. It always will be. But yeah, and I, and I think, again, it goes back to my childhood. I, I grew up with two parents who always followed what made them excited. They never chased money. My dad's an attorney. He could have made a lot more money in his lifetime, but he chose to work with groups that were really underrepresented and protect the environment and things that he was so passionate about that just but didn't pay a ton of money. And my mom, I remember watching her, she left a job when she wasn't ha- she wasn't happy. Um, you know, and and so I, I learned it's okay to walk away from things. I learned it's okay to not chase the money. And when I got offered that job in finance, it was a lot of money. But I was not excited about it, so I didn't even think twice. And I've watched a lot of my friends chase money, and it's really sad because some of them, I have one friend who calls me in the morning and she circles the parking lot at work because she doesn't want to go in. And it's just like, you know, you you only get one life. So 
maybe you don't know what it is yet that you want to do or what makes you excited, but find it. And if you're in a place where you're really unhappy and you're, you really feel stuck, no matter how much money you're making, make a change because you don't want to look back on your life and realize that you never really lived, you know? Yeah. Tell them, Chris, and tell them. <laughs> um, all right. So, so let's stick with that. So let's just say, um, you know, I'm the 25-year-old that hates my job or maybe has an idea but isn't sure if, if I should go all in or, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in that limbo of, you know, they don't, they don't feel like they're in the right vehicle or in the right opportunity. Um, how would you, how would you advise someone to find what the right opportunity is? Or maybe you, how do you do that with some of your employees that are in college and they're graduating and they don't want to stick with student made? They want to go do something else. Like, how do you advise them to find their, like their North star that they should be doing? Well, there's a few things I would, I would recommend. One is, and we do this in our company, every single student takes Strength Finder. It's from Gallup. It's like 20 bucks. You can do it online. And what it does is it tells you your top five strengths. And the idea is when you're working in an environment where you're using your five strengths, you feel fulfilled and you feel more energized by your work versus depleted by it. So really understanding, it's, it's just like self-awareness. What are you good at? And, and how do you find a job that allows you to use those strengths? And it's really great. When you take the test, you'll get the results back yeah. and it'll explain all five really in depth. So I would highly recommend that. Um, the second thing is you're looking for an environment, not for a company, not for an organization. Like you're looking for the culture and the environment. And we always teach our students, it's not about the position. It's not about you know the name of the company because look at Student Made. It's a cleaning company. But we have people who've turned down jobs in interior design and in software engineering because it's it's not about the fact that we're a cleaning company. It's the environment and the culture. So look for the culture and the environment that makes you feel valued. And when you're sitting in that interview, ask yourself, would I want to work here? Like interview yourself. What how would I feel walking through these doors every day? You know, pay attention to how it feels because that's that's what's most important. And then the third thing is if you're in a job right now where you feel like maybe it's not the best or you feel stuck or you think you want to make a change, have you voiced that? Have you gone to your leader and, sa- and, and told him or her that? Because so many times people left my company because they wanted something else. And I was so heartbroken because had I known that, I would have figured it out. I would have I done whatever it took to keep them. And sometimes your leader just doesn't know. And, and you just have to tell them, look, I'm, like, I don't feel like I'm in a job where I'm using my strengths or I want this or I want that. And, and together you can figure it out. But if you've told your leader that and your leader's doing nothing about it, then I think it's, it's time to move on. You know, one thing I'd love to get to before we get into some of the rapid fire, just real quick, is you know, we've been talking a lot about sales so far. And you clearly have a passion for sales. Tom and I do as well. Um, but one of the things I've seen is that there's a lot of social pressures for millennials and, and folks in our generation to maybe do something with their life that's expected of them of, of others, but maybe that's not the right path for them. So I'd, be, I'd love to know, what are some tips you have for helping someone find their passion so that they know, you know hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and then I think the work's easy. So yeah. what would you, how would you speak to that? I, I, maybe this is a little extreme, <laughs> but I do not think anybody should wake up and go to work any day that they're not happy. They, that's not the job for them. 
Um, going to work and dreading the workday, it sounds so horrible to me. And I feel sorry for those people, frankly. I think that if you don't know what your passion is, then you have to explore as many things as humanly possible to find that passion, and you will. And if you feel like you're doing something and that you don't feel passionate about it, then it isn't for you. And whatever your motivator is to do that, whether it's that you feel you have to give back and help by being part of a nonprofit, or you feel like you have to be making, you know, six figures and, you know, and bringing home a significant paycheck. There are realities for day-to-day life, right? Like people need certain things in order to be comfortable in there, you know, from a financial perspective. But at the end of the day, if you don't love doing it, then why are you doing it? So I think the big thing is just being honest with yourself and having a high level of self-reflection. I think it was in the podcast you guys did with Rich where you talked about gratitude. And if you can't look back on your day and be grateful for the way it unfolded, even if it's a what you consider a bad day, right? It's a bad day, right? It was really intense or you lost a deal or, you know, something happened horrible at work in some other profession. But if you still don't have anything to be grateful and excited about, that's problem. And that really requires you to self-reflect more so than the person that, you know, closes the end of the day and is just really proud of their accomplishments and excited about the things that took place. Got it. And and so you mentioned you know, in terms of management, I think a lot of the listeners are in a management role. You know, you don't necessarily manage people, you manage energy. Um, and I think that's that's obviously done through that one-on-one spectrum that you're seeing. So how would you go about an accountability driver in terms of, all right, you see someone on your team is, is struggling, maybe they're complaining a lot. Um, is there a way that you work with them in terms of like tracking daily accountability, like saying, all right, let's set some goals or let's keep a journal or anything really tactical like that you work with people on? You know, we, in my first book, Reality Based Leadership, I give you like a placemat and some other ways to work tactical. But I will tell you that any tactical thing you put in place, if the ego is out to play, will not work. People will not use it. They will make every excuse in the book. They will misuse it. Because any tool we give people without the proper mindset, without the ego being bypassed, um, will just be used for evil, not good. And so what I would do first is to help people um, understand their mental processes. So, um, and and we have tools for the group as well. I don't want to say that, that we don't. So for instance, in the group tools, when... You know, I'm working with people, I call it the accounting for exercise, and they're telling me that the reason they didn't get it done was, you know, the business enablement team or senior leadership or, you know, the reason our SAS report looks so bad. I'll say, what happened? Why didn't we do deliver on what we promised? And I'll say, well, you know, this team didn't do it. This team didn't do it. And I'll say, you guys, everybody take five minutes of silence and start your sentences with the word I assumed, I denied, I did, I didn't, any of those, and start again. And it's like, um, I didn't have regular check-ins with the business enablement team. I didn't run, you know, a good uh, project management methodology with these folks. I, you know, whatever it is, I want you to know what your part was, because that's where the freedom is. The truth will set you free. The highest form of accountability is to the truth. And I want you to know what your part was, because that gives you accountability is the ability to account for 
how you got here. And that gives you responsibly the ability to respond differently in the future. And if you can't own it, you can't change it. And you are just going to be a victim of your circumstances. So that totally sets you free. And, and I have some group ways to do that. Um, another group technique, and I'll get in the individuals, is is when people are telling me what they want different in their workplace, I'm like, great, let's put it up there, make a list. How do you want your workplace to be? You know, we want better communication. We want more transparency. We want, you know, they just put the list up there. And most people who are low in accountability expect me as their manager to take the list and go work on it or go bend reality. But I can't bend reality. So I say the second list, I say, what are you willing to do to get that? And most of the time that stays blank for a little bit. People are like, what are you talking about? I want my reality different. I'm like, yep. What are you willing to do to get that? Are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to, you know, what are you willing to do? And then the third list is what can I do as a leader? But most leaders ask me, how do I hold people accountable? I tell them you can't, but you can stop enabling them. And enablement comes when um, people are, doing, um, pretending that reality is different for folks. And that's where the enablement comes from. And so it's helping people understand that they have a direct link to their own results and success. And most of us enable folks out of that. So those are some group things. Um, I individually, you've got to get people out of their story because if they have a tool to use to hold them accountable, that tool will not have a lot on it that will really have impact because most people don't understand where they can have impact because their ego, the thing they're believing is telling them that they're victims and that they're helpless. So the first thing I've got to do as a leader, we have a tool called edit your story. And the reason we use tools, by the way, is that they bypass the ego, get you out of ego and into self-reflection. And so that's why we're really big on tools. But a tool is if you come to me and you're telling me that, um, you know, you worked with a group and they basically were not attentive in training and they just, they shredded the training and they hit you up in the evals and they were, you know, really disrespectful. And, you know, you're just very upset about this. It's I'm collecting the facts so that you can see where the venting ends and the facts begin. And the facts are, I gave a training. It wasn't well received according to the feedback. And now I vent. I mean, and I'll say, you know, if you give a training, it wasn't well received. Venting is not going to help this situation. What will? The facts aren't that the group was, you know, a horrendous group of people. The facts were that what you gave in your training wasn't all that valuable to, or the format wasn't valuable, or that's where you find the freedom is not blaming the group edit your story, which means taking out all the assignment of motives and judgment and, and find the truth. I worked today, did the training. It didn't go well. And it's from that truth. You can say, what can I do next to add value? And that's where the leaders really have to get in there and help people edit their stories. Then the tracking mechanism works once you're out of ego. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to that episode. Really hope you liked it. Uh, If you did, if you found any value, wherever you're listening to this, uh, please head on over uh, and give it a five-star rating, subscribe, review, whether it's on the iTunes app, whether it's on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, if it's there. Um, Really appreciate you. You can find me at TomAlamo.com, 
T-O-M-A-L-A-I-M-O.com for the blog, all the show notes, and Tommy Tahoe uh, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Find me on Facebook. I'm everywhere. So thanks so much. Grateful for you. Have a great week.